Good morning. Uh, scripture reading this morning is from Genesis chapter 12 from verse 1 to 4. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and from your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you all the families of the, of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him. And Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. This is God's word for us this morning. You may be seated. Good morning, Grace Community. We doing all right this morning? Great. My name is Greg. Uh, I'm not Brooksy. Yes. Who's Brooksy? Yeah, we're good friends. Anyway, yeah, Brooks is up in Cedar Falls. Uh, he is part of, he's speaking, teaching a class in the Perspectives Global Missions um, Conference that's up there. He does that on a yearly basis. Um, so I am uh, the backup quarterback this morning. So anyway, uh, if you're new here, welcome. Uh, we've been going through a series called Living Stones, and we're looking at uh, the patriarchs in the Old Testament, some of the things that we can glean from them. Uh, it's kind of uh, a tag along after our series in First Peter that we just finished up a couple of weeks ago about we're in First Peter. It says that we as disciples, as followers of Christ, that we are like living stones being built together. So this morning's message, uh, we are going to take a look at uh, the person of Abram. Um, maybe you are more familiar with when he was called Abraham later in the scriptures. So if I stumble and say Abraham, Abram, it's still the same guy. But what we want to do is we want to look this morning at when God called Abram to do something that was really fantastic. And the thing that we are going to get out of this is not only did God call Abram, but God is calling you and I as well. So if you would, let's pray, and then let's dive into the scriptures this morning. Um, Holy Spirit, we are asking you that you would work with the scriptures, that you would bring about a mighty... Um, insight, revelation to us about what you want us to do in response to your calling on our lives. And we ask it through Christ. Amen. So what we're going to do is we're going to be taking a look, uh, first of all, at the character of God. As we look at what God called Abraham to do, there, I just said it, sorry. What God called Abram to do is what we're going to see is through this calling, we're going to see some of the character and the attributes and the nature of God. One is that we're going to see God's grace in the calling. We're going to see God being incredibly patient in the calling. And then we're going to see a display of God's amazing power uh, in the calling. We're also going to take a look at Abram's responses, okay? Um, some of Abram's responses are going to make you scratch your head, but we're also going to be taking a look at how Abram is responding to God's calling. Just as God's calling revealed God's character and nature, um, we're going to see how Abram responded 
is going to reveal his nature and his character. And then, of course, we want to make sure that we understand that God is calling us to something, okay? So this is not just we're going to talk about God and we're going to talk about Abram. This is something that God wants us to understand that just as he called Abram to something, that he is going to also call us to something. So first of all, let's go with a, a working definition of what calling is. Um, sometimes we think, well, calling, isn't that just for like um, special Christians, maybe elite Christians or those that are in vocational missionary, uh, ministry or that's what um, missionaries say. I feel like I'm called to, um, to go on the mission field. It isn't calling just for a select few. And is it, no, as we look at the scriptures, calling is really a very simple thing. First of all, there is a calling where God calls us to himself for salvation. God called you. You responded. He called you to himself for salvation. And then once you are with him and you are abiding with him, he calls us to all sorts of various missions and adventures and tasks and privileges and those sorts of things. So really a working definition uh, of calling is this. It's a message from God to you concerning some kind of task, a project or a mission. It's directed maybe towards a certain people, certain group, certain endeavor, but it's for a desired impact. It's not this broad, generalized thing. It's usually for some kind of impact or result that has this trifold effect. It honors God, it benefits others, and then you as well can be very fulfilled. I've had the privilege over the last four or five months to be able to uh, walk alongside and, and serve some educators and some teachers. And one of the things that I've done um, with them is I've asked them this, what is God calling you to do in your classroom? What do you think God is calling you to do in your classroom for this year? And then we have some conversation back and forth, trying to deepen it. And then after Christmas break, I sent them all an email and I said, okay, tell me this, how satisfied are you with the progress that you have made so far in fulfilling what God has called you to do? And so we get some responses. One teacher responded this way, long-term veteran teacher. She said, as far as my sat the satisfaction goes, I think my class, they're at about a 40 to 60 out of 100 scale. They kind of get it. She goes, but for me, I'm at a 90. I have been totally transformed as a teacher by wrestling with this concept, what is God calling me to do? It now impacts every decision that I have in the classroom. Not only the curriculum that I choose, but the you know, how I'm taking out the lessons. And she winds it up with this. She said, she said, God has totally transformed me as an educator and has saved me from becoming or from being a burnt out teacher. All because someone has chosen to wrestle with this concept, what is God calling me to do? 
This kind of story is not unusual. In fact, this kind of story really can be quite familiar for those of us that are following Christ. What is God calling you to do? Now, calling seems to be a very familiar um, term in our culture and in our society. Um, In business, it's a very big thing. It's like, you know what, I just feel, I'm feeling called to do this. What I like to do is, this is one of my favorite questions I ask when people visit with businessmen, with the teachers, people that want to come to me, they got, I got a problem, say, all right, first of all, what's God calling you to do in this situation? That frames up the discussion really quick. And it's amazing that really mature Christians are like, I, I never, I, you know, I never really thought about that. Yes. What's God calling you to do? Because he is intimately involved with everything in your life. What do you think he's wanting you to do? And the other thing was some people when they say, well, you know, I have this calling. It's like, well, you know, calling kind of indicates that there's a caller. Who is calling you? Who is calling you? And they say, oh, yeah, it's just this, it's just this inner feeling, you know. It's just, no, no, no. Who is calling you? And as they go around the cul-de-sac a couple times, they say, all right, well, you know, I'm calling myself. I say, you know what? Responding to the call of God is great. Talking to yourself is kind of a mental condition, and there's medication and counseling for that. So who is calling you? Those are two great questions to keep in your arsenal as you're having conversations. Because you can say, who's calling you? I I really don't know. It's like, how would you like to have God call you to something? Bingo, now we're on track for a conversation. So let's move on. Anyway, calling, it's a message from God to us, you know, concerning something that he wants us to do to have a desired effect. It honors God, benefits others, and it'll greatly, greatly um, fulfill you. So Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, what we're going to see is we're going to see God's incredible grace in the calling of Abram. Um, As you read through Genesis and all of a sudden you get up to uh, chapter 12, it says this, Now the Lord had said to Abram, Go forth from your country, from your relatives, from your father's house, to a land which I will show you. I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to bless you, make your name great. You're going to be a blessing. I'm going to bless those who bless you and the ones who curse you I will curse. And all the families in the earth shall be blessed. Who's doing the calling here? God. God's reaching out to Abram. Abram's not seeking God. I mean, what do we know about Abram, you know, in the Old Testament? We, well, we, we know that he, land, he, he lived in a city called Ur, Ur of the Chaldeans, okay? Um, the Chaldeans were a people who were very big into worshiping all sorts of pagan idols, okay? The big one was the moon goddess, okay? So Abram is in this pagan, um, desolate community. There was a lot of violence that surrounded it, okay? Kind of like the Ped Mall only thousands of years ago. But anyway, Abram's there, and all of a sudden God says to Abram, I mean, what was Abram doing that would cause God to call out to him? 
nothing. Abram is doing nothing. It is totally God's initiative. And he said, I am going to reach out and I'm going to choose Abram. Why? Because Abram is so righteous and so great and so noble? No. God reaches out to Abram and chooses Abram and calls to Abram because that is an indication of God's great graciousness. Why did God reach out and call you to himself? Because you had potential? Maybe you did. But God reached out and called you to himself because of his great desire and love and power for you when you weren't even looking for him. That is the nature of God's great grace in this calling. Why did God choose Abram? Because he's gracious. That's, that's the only thing that we can really find out here. And that's the nature of God. Whether he calls us to himself or once we know him, and he said, now I'm going to call you to various missions, this is all driven by God's incredible graciousness for us to partner and for us to go along for an incredible ride. So let's take a look. Let's break this down. This is, this is God's part of this calling. He goes, look, this is what I'm going to do here, Abram. I'm going to show you this land. I've prepared this place. I'm going to take, it, I'm going to take you there. I'm going to show you the land. I'm going to there, when you're there, I'm going to make you a great nation, which means you're going to have a bunch of descendants. They're going to have descendants. And there, you're going to be the father of this nation. And great is going to be your dependence. He goes, this is what I'm going to do, Abram. God, I will bless you. I'm going to make your name great and famous. We're still talking about it. Yes. He goes, in fact, I'm going to bless those who bless you. And in fact, with your enemies, those who curse you, I'm going to step in. I'm going to curse them. Abram, this is everything that I'm going to do in this calling. This is what I want you to do. Abram, here's your part. Leave. That's all I want you to do, Abram. I want you to leave. I want you to leave your country. I want you to leave the ped mall. Okay, I want you to follow me. I want you to leave your relatives, and I want you to leave your father's house. All of these pagan influences that you have grown up in for generations, I want you to just leave it, and I want you to follow me. For those of you who have study Bibles, it's like, you, got, you, you notice you got maps in the back? You never looked at them? We're going to look at one, okay? So, oh, yeah, I use the maps. Okay, sure. Uh, way down there, number one, that's Ur, okay? And this is the journey that Abraham took. Went up to Haran, finally came down to Canaan. There's Egypt to the left there. Um, we're going to get into that a little bit. But, yeah, that's, that's the journey that he was going to take. Why is that important? Because... We're going to turn the page backwards just a little bit to go to Genesis chapter 11. Genesis chapter 11 starts off with the account of the Tower of Babel. Of course, at the end of that, if you're familiar with that account, God scattered everyone. Everyone's gone all over the place. And then it gets into the genealogy there of Seth. The genealogy of Seth. So, um, excuse me, Shem. 
Sorry. Shem. Shem, Ham, and Japheth, remember? So here's the genealogy of one of Noah's sons, and it's like you go da 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 all the way down. And what this is, is this is a big picture narrative. Big picture narrative, and then we get into chapter 12, which is a specific part of that narrative. Remember in Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 1, big picture narrative about God creating. Genesis chapter 2 is more of a specific day 6 about God when he made man. It's a specific, but there are things from Genesis chapter 1 that we can glean combined with Genesis chapter 2. Same thing, Genesis chapter 11 has some real kind of hidden away nuggets that really help us to understand in what God was calling um, Abram to do. Because it says here, Terah. Terah is Abram's father. Because the, the genealogy goes and it goes and down, 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 down. And all of a sudden you get to the bottom of the, the, the Hebrew phone book there with all those names that I can't pronounce. But anyway, he got Terah. And then Terah, you know, had some sons. And Abram was one of them. And Abram married. And he's got uh, cousins and all this. So Terah, it said, Terah took Abram his son and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, which is Abram's wife. And he goes... And that's Terah's daughter-in-law, son of Abram's wife. They went out together from Ur of the Chaldeans in order to enter the land of Canaan. And they went as far as Haran and settled there. And the days of Terah were 205 years. And then Terah died in Haran. Okay? On their way to Canaan, all of a sudden, they're going to stop in the land of Haran. Here's the thing. What, what did God tell Abram to do. He said, go forth from your country. I want you to go forth from your relatives. And I want you to go forth from your father's house. I want you to leave it all behind. I mean, not only did dad come with him, but dad is leading this. Because it says that Terah took Abram. Terah took the family. They also brought Lot. Terah is leading this. This is God's call to Abram. This was not God's call to Terah. But Abram, what he's deciding to do is he's going to kind of like respond with partial obedience or selective obedience. Parents, when you talk to your kids, and there's what is partial obedience or selective obedience? It's disobedience. Yeah. I asked you to do this. I asked you to pick up your room, but what you did is you actually tried to clean up the living room. That's not what I told you to do. Partial obedience is actually disobedience. And what we see is God's incredible patience here because God says real clearly, I'm going to give you all of this. I'm going to do miraculous, wonderful, powerful, huge things. All I want you to do is leave. And I want you to follow me. And what Abram does is he decides, you know what? God, can I call an audible at the line here? Can I just change some things? Because I think, I think I got a better plan. I think I got a better plan, God. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pack up a lot of baggage, and I'm going to take it with me. 
And in fact, what we're going to do is we are going to go and we are going to not go right over to Canaan. We are going to go north to Haran, okay? Now, some commentators say, why did they go to Haran? Why did they go to Haran? Why did Taran want to go to Haran? And it could be that, well, Haran ha- or Terah had a son named Haran. There might have been something about the city. He goes, you know what? I'm, I'm longing. I miss my kid. And as a result, I want to go over there and I want to live you know, vicariously through this city for my son. We just don't really know. But all we know is that Abram took his father and he's letting dad lead. Is it okay to let dad lead? Um, as long as you're in his house and as long as you're maybe under 18. You know, there's a reason why God said in the garden, for this reason, a man will leave his mother and father and he will cleave to his wife and the two will become one flesh. There's a leaving. Doesn't mean an abandonment, but there's a leaving and then a cleaving, you know. And in an essence, this is what God is telling Abram to do. Leave. Leave. Not bring, but Leave. And I think Abram is still, as an adult male, still letting his daddy call the shots in his life. And even when God intervenes and says, look, you can listen to your daddy or listen to your heavenly father because I'm going to do something. Or your daddy, all he's done is led you here to to Ur and moon worshiping and violence. I've got a better, more abundant life. Follow me but he decides he's got a better way. The other thing is he took Lot. As we'll find, you know, Lot's a piece of work. Lot, Lot as we read, as we go on, it's like, why, why did you choose numbnuts here? I have no idea, you know. Do you not have any other friends or something like that? But you cho- chose Lot, Okay. So first of all, and this can happen to us, God calls us to something, and we decide to call an audible. God puts something on our heart by his graciousness, and he said, you know what, this is something that could be. And now because I'm working in your heart, it's something that you say, this should be, this must be, this is something that must be done. I really sense God is calling me to do this. And he wants it done this way. And we decide to call an audible and change it because we believe, God, I've got it from here. I've got it from here. Let me take it and let me run with it according to my own plans. So anyway, so the first thing is that partial obedience or disobedience. The other thing is that can happen as we see in God's call to Abraham what can happen to us is that we start to settle. We start to settle. It says here, Terah took Abram, his son, Lot, the son of Haran, all that, and he went from Ur of the Chaldeans, and they went as far as Haran, and they settled there. The word settled there does not mean, you know, I stopped at the Holiday Inn Express, uh, you know, we got new supplies or whatever. They bought a house, they planted their flag, they're going to stay. And as we see, they stayed there, until daddy was gone. Abram didn't want to leave his father, so he waited until God said, I'm going to remove your father. 205 years. But anyway, he settled there. 
why, why would he settle there? Now, they came from, you know, Ur, which was a violent place, moon-worshipping, very pagan, very pagan, very demonic. And we're going to move then up north, as you looked at the map, to Haran. And Haran was actually a very, um, very commercial place. A lot of trade went there. Um, it was closer to water sources. Um, it was actually a place that was very nice to live in. Okay? Um, you see, Haran was the land of comfort. Canaan was the land of promise. And it's okay to have lands of comfort. It's okay to have a place of comfort. But it wasn't that God said, I'm going to take you to a land of comfort. I'm going to take you to a land of promise. There are those I wills. I'm going to do that here, but I'm going to do those things, Abram, in this land that I'm promising you. You know, there are a couple of things that happen to us as followers of Jesus when we sense that God is calling us to something. One of the things that's very common is that um, Christians, we sense that God is calling us to do something, and as soon as we run into any kind of difficulty, hardship, opposition, anything like that, we fold and we give up, and it's like, yeah, I guess, yeah, I guess God's not calling me to this. You know, we're going to have this ministry to someone, and all of a sudden, some lone objector said, "You know what? I don't like what you're doing. God must not be in this anymore." It's like, come on! One of the things that calling does is that it ignites—I mean, it ignites a passion within a believer. When they finally start to get this sense, you know what? God just didn't call me to himself, but as I look at my life, he has prepared me for something, and he's put this desire on my heart that is something that, that could be, that it should be, and now it must be, and there ignites a passion. There's this drive, and there's something to say, you know what? There is an obstacle in my way to get this calling fulfilled or to continue on with this calling, and it's like, Here's an obstacle. Here's a road bump, whatever metaphor you want. But it's like calling says, hmm, I'm not going to stop. Well, that's a big wall. Well, I'm either going to go around it, over it, through it, under it, whatever it is, but I'm not going to stop because there's something that God is doing deep within your life. Who doesn't want to have a life that says, I've got that kind of passion and drive that when difficulties spring up, it's like, We're moving on. We are not stopping. This is what God has called me to do, and I'm going to do whatever I can to make sure that I do my part in getting it fulfilled. Very common. Here's the uncommon one, but uh, it's, it's sneaky, and it's subtle, and it has railroaded Christians for decades, centuries probably. It's comfort. It's comfort. You're doing this thing that God has called you to do. And maybe you've done it for a while. And there's some fruit, there's some effectiveness, and there's impact, and things are going real, real well, and we get comfortable. We get 
comfortable and we settle. The relentless pursuit of comfort is the enemy of excellence. It's okay to be comfortable. I like a comfortable bed. I've got a favorite chair. I'm sure you do. When you go on vacation, you say, like, you know what? I'd like to stay in a comfortable place, okay? It's okay. I've got uh, a nice house. I find that comfortable. That's okay. Leisure activities. I like to play golf, or I like to fish, or I have a... That's okay. But in our culture right now, we have this relentless pursuit of comfort. Because when we reach a certain level of comfort, that no longer satisfies, and so we want a greater level of comfort. A greater level of comfort. And then all of a sudden, we find out all we're pursuing is comfort, and what God has called us to do is now a distant memory. Ministries that have grown large and impactful, all of a sudden, the, the finances, the fame, the comfort, whatever it is, becomes so overwhelming to them, they start to coast, okay? Let me give you an example for parents. Parents, you know, you say, I want to raise my kids. Why? I, I want to be involved with them. And when they're young, we, we, just, we just focus in on them. We're reading all kinds of books about parenting, and we're with friends and all those. And they grow up, and it's like, I want to make sure they get a good education, those sorts of things. And then all of a sudden, high school happens. And for some reason, parents start to coast. They get comfortable in their parenting. And they feel like, you know, I just, I've done my work. Man, I've labored hard to raise my kids. And now all of a sudden we've got hardly any face-to-face communication. We're not, we're not pouring into them with the same rigor, the same fever, the same what, sh- what could be, should be. And we start to coast. And then 80% of them, when they go off to college, they abandon their faith. And I really think it's because what happened at home got too comfortable. It got too comfortable. I want to talk specifically to you men and women that are in your, like, late 50s, okay? Yeah, I see one of the daughters. That's you, Dad. That's you, yeah. Late 50s, okay, moving forward. Here's one of the things that I think God has really, really put on my heart, probably because, you know, I'm in my early 80s, it feels like now. But anyway, (laughs) men and women, you are entering into a season of life that really can be and should be your most effective and your most fruitful years. Because think about it. For most of you, you're entering into this season where the kids are gone and you probably say, I've got more discretionary finances and resources than I've ever had before in my life. I've got more discretionary time than I've had at any time in my life. And as a follower of Christ you probably look and just say, you know what? I've, I've got more wisdom than I've ever had in my life. 
Think back to when you were 30 and just go, oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm much better now. And the call of our culture is that you have reached this time. Start your relentless pursuit of comfort. And even the church, yes, even the church says we have got to use all of our resources to reach the next generation when we neglect. What about the current generation that has most of the opportunity, ability, resources, time, and wisdom? We say, go chase a golf ball. Go live in Florida. Take your time off because we've got to reach the young ones. When our, it's like saying, I'm going to take our veteran players and it's time to sit on the bench and watch. Do not, brothers and sisters, do not let that characterize your life. This is a time when you should fervently ask, God, what are you calling me to do? What are you calling me to do? And let the Holy Spirit light that fire within you and finish this season of your life with great vigor. What athlete, men, what athlete, when he sees the finish line approaching, starts to slow down? The loser does. The champion does not. The man and the woman of God does not. Do not let your life start good, get strong, and then coast to the finish line. There are too many people, there are too many problems out there that God wants to use you. He wants to go and be a solution to those problems, and he wants to take you with him. God is very patient in this calling. So we go on. Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him. Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Abram took Sarai, his wife, Lot, his nephew, all their possessions, which they accumulated, the persons which they acquired in Haran. They set out for the land of Canaan. Thus, they came to the land of Canaan. Finally, finally, Abram, you hear, all right? Abram was to leave, leave, leave. This is sounding funky. Or is that just my voice that is funky? It's my voice? Okay. Josh, you want to come up and finish for me? Is it? Is it do I smell? Okay. Any... So Abram was to leave, leave, leave. This is the time now when God said, I will, I will, I will. It's game time now. Ready to watch God do something incredible. All these things. And then fear sets in. Disobedience, settling, and fear will derail you if you let them in what God calls you to do. said there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe. This is not just, eh, you know, the things on the grocery store shelf, they're just not as plentiful. No, it was severe. This is, this is serious stuff. And it came about when he came near to Egypt, he said to Sarah, his wife, he said, see now, I know that you're a beautiful woman. You flatterer, you. And when the Egyptians see you, they'll say, this is his wife, and they'll kill me, but they will let you live. Please say that you are my sister, so it may go well with me because of you, that I may live on your account. All right. There is so much here, but I want to focus on this. 
Again, Abram goes to the land. God said, now it's time for the I wills. This is where God is going to show up. He's been so patient, so gracious. And all of a sudden, we've got something that is really significant, and Abram is afraid. Is it okay to be afraid? Yes. Yes. Because there are things that come up in life that are really fearful. These are some very severe circumstances. Okay? And maybe you have faced or are facing or will face some pretty significant circumstances that cause fear. Okay? But what happens is that fear should lead us to God, draw us near to Him, okay? instead of trying to come up with some kind of compromise. When we look to ourselves only in trying to come up with a solution to fear, we will cave. We will cave and we will compromise. And this is what we see Abram do. He said, okay, we're going to go to Egypt. First of all, he should have stayed there. It was the land of promise. He's now going to the world to look for answers. He should have stayed there. It was hard to stay there. Yeah, but God said, I will do these things. So he goes to another place instead, another pagan, idolatrous place. And he comes up with this audible at the line, okay? Because when we are fearful and we start to compromise, and if you've done it before, because I have, we come up with some really, really stupid things to do. Not only stupid, they could be dangerous, had you thought that through, Greg? No, I didn't. Well, that's why you're where you're here right now. This, this is what stupid does, okay? So he says, look, we're going to go here. And they go, look, sweetie, you know, you smoke show you. you tell, them, tell them that you're my sister because if, if they know that you're my wife, here's what they'll do. Here's their reputation. Because they're going to just take you They'll kill me so you're no longer married to me, and they're just going to take you. But if you say that you're my sister, okay, then they're going to let me go. Any concern for your wife? What do you think they're going to do to her? Do you think you're going to give her a one-bedroom apartment and let her stay by herself? No. They're going to kill me. They'll let you live. Um, Please say that you're my sister. So it'll go well with me so that I may live. Here is Abram, and now he is living like the world, okay, thinking like the world, and his preferred pronouns are me, myself, and I. No regard for his wife came about when Abram came into Egypt, and the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. Pharaoh's officers or officials also saw that praised her to Pharaoh. The woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. Yeah, it's going to be a party there, girl. Therefore, he treated Abram well for her sake, gave him sheep, oxen, donkeys, servants, female donkeys and camels. Um, In the midst of following God's call, there may be the opportunity where cash, comfort, and compromise are an unholy trinity that will try to pull you off course. Abram's taking a big bite of this sandwich, and it's just not good. You know, let's take a little bunny trail, okay, on Sarai. Um, 
She's 65 years old now, here. You know the reputation of Egypt. Uh, very, very uh, you know, beautiful people, you know, very rich, wealthy. They dressed well, jewels, diamonds, gold, all that stuff. They come in, she's 65 years old, in this Instagram, TikTok culture. And not only does Pharaoh say, look at this one. But his officials also say, wow, they praised her. You know, in 1 Peter, if you remember when we were going through that, chapter 3 described some of the characteristics of Sarah. Said that she had, she was described as having imperishable beauty that was internal, that it was not merely external. Her character was precious in the sight of God, and it's how holy women also adorned or put themselves together. Ladies, this is what happens when a mature woman who is following God shows up amongst the girls in a TikTok generation. Mamas, you don't have to dress and act like your teenage girls. Because what they are looking for is a real godly woman, an imperishable beauty. She became 65, and people are saying, there is something about this woman. And how she got hooked up with numbnuts, I have no idea. But she did. Was she perfect? No. But this is how her life was described in the New Testament. I remember reading about Chuck Colson. Anyone remember Chuck Colson, Nixon, Watergate? Sent to prison. He was a special counsel to uh, President Nixon. He got saved, started prison fellowship, became very um, impactful and influential. And he would say, he would say that when, when he was working in the, in the White House, when evangelical leaders would want a meeting with President Nixon, because they had a bone to pick or they wanted something with some legislation or something like that. They would come in and it's like, yeah, I need, I need to talk to the president about this. He said, all we had to do was bring them in, give them a little tour of the White House, show them that, give them a pair of expensive cufflinks, schmooze them, give them some cash, tell them that they're awesome, and then bring them in front of the president. Hey, can we get a picture with you? He'll sign it, man. You can take it back to your church. And then when they get back to the church, it's like, well, Pastor, what did you talk to President Nixon about? Oh, I never really got around to it because cash and comfort led to compromise. Last thing, God's power and the calling. God's been gracious and patient, and now he's going to get very powerful because he takes his calling seriously. He said, but the Lord struck Pharaoh in his house with great plagues. Struggling with great plagues. You see, because God had a plan, he goes, look, we're going to make, you're going to have a kid, we're going to make descendants, and you're leaving her in Egypt, okay? It's time for daddy to step in. Because you two, I need Sarah to go with you to Canaan. So this is where God steps in. You know, and 
Pharaoh even says, what is this that you've done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Isn't it sad, Christians, when it's the, when it's the secular humanist that sometimes has the better moral compass than us? Or when, a, when you're trying to witness or something to it and say, when, when your coworker, your neighbor, your kids, whatever it is, say, why should I believe what you believe when it seems that you don't even believe what you believe? Why should I? This is what compromise does. We think we got a great plan, but coming out in the wake behind us is a lot of stuff that does have a negative impact. But God is sovereign, gracious. Remember, calling, it's a message from God to you about doing something to some people for a certain effect that God's honored, you're benefited, and that you're fulfilled. Oz Guinness, oh, sorry, I'm going long. Can you put another 20 minutes on there? You can't? Okay. We've picked on Abram enough because it'd be very easy to sit back and just kind of go and cluck our tongues. Further on, we read, and you're probably familiar, there was the account where God said, take your son, your only son, I want you to take him up to the top of Mount Moriah and I want you to sacrifice him. And it said that Abram did it without question. Took him up there, even took two servants with him as witnesses, and you just kind of go, tied him up. This is not an accurate picture because Isaac at that time was probably in his 20s, a young man. He could probably take a guy that was over 100, you know. But Isaac was very willing. He got it, and you just kind of go, I, I, I don't get this. But there was no hesitation. There was no compromise. There was no calling an audible. Uh, was there fear? Probably, but it didn't lead to compromise. It led to, the, it led to God. Okay. Now, as I'm sitting here and I'm, I'm looking at this, this passage over this week and stuff, and I'm just kind of going, you know, it's easy to start poking holes at Abram, but I'll tell you one thing. If God said, Greg, take your son and kill him, <laughs> um, I'll be honest. I don't know if I could do that. I just don't know. James writes this, Abraham believed God. It was reckoned him as righteousness. He was called a friend of God. Now, we know that he didn't kill Isaac. God intervened and said, stop, stop. Why'd God do that? I have... Why did he take Abram through that? I, I don't know. But Abram had no hesitation. Isaac had no hesitation. He discipled his kid well. How can Abram go from Egypt and Canaan to grow? Because he got to know God. He became fearless. He didn't become perfect, but he came fearless. You see, the truth is, people have said, you know what? You cannot love someone that you do not know. You cannot serve someone that you do not know. You cannot devote yourself to someone you do not know. You cannot sacrifice. You cannot trust, and you cannot completely put your faith in someone that you do not know. The big takeaway in looking at Abram is that he got to know God and his life was totally transformed. And if we do not take the time to get to know God by seeking him earnestly and through the scriptures, how can you love him? How can you say you trust him? But when you do know him, it changes everything.
it changes everything. Oz Guinness in his book, The Call, says this. Deep in our hearts, we all want to find and fulfill a purpose bigger than ourselves. Only such a larger purpose can inspire us to heights uh, that we know that we could never reach on our own. For each of us, the real purpose is personal and it's passionate to know what we are here to do and why. And he said the trouble is that as modern people, we have too much to live with and too little to live for. Our life purpose, therefore, comes from two sources at once, who we are created to be, who we, are cre- who we are called to be. And not only is this call of our creator the source of the deepest self-discoveries and growth in life, it gives our life an inspiration and a dynamism that transforms them into an enterprise beyond any capacity. Do you long to escape the smallness of a life with no purpose higher than your own? to rise above the mediocrity, mediocrity, tedium, quiet desperation of so many around you, to know a purpose that no odds can daunt and no failure can dismay. Listen to Jesus of Nazareth and answer his call. To ask God, what are you calling me to do? What do you want me to do? Your life may be broken, desolate, a train wreck, whatever you want, and God has restored you. God has has brought you back to some realms of normalcy. He's not done yet. It's what now? What if, what if an entire congregation would take seriously the question, God, What are you calling us to do? What are you calling me to do? To which I say, let's find out. Let's find out. You may be struggling with some things and you may want to have somebody to talk with you or pray with you after the service and we can do that up here. My apologies for going long. My prayer is that God would transform us as we seek him in a very earnest way. Holy Spirit, we've asked that you and your scriptures would do a work. We we trust that it's been done. We ask also that those who might be wanting to respond to your call for the first time to come to Jesus and to be saved from the penalty of their sin or those who will respond to to your beckoning call to draw near to you, to ask earnestly, God, what are you calling me to do? And Lord, may we see you show up in many mighty and various ways. Amen. Go in grace. God bless.